Morning. Good to be with you. Pat and I, as Ian said, arrived yesterday. And we so appreciate you coming, getting us at the airport, loaning us his car, uh, giving us SIM cards for our cell phones, all that you've done. Very much appreciated. We love our relationship with Harvest Church. And whenever we come and try to come each year to have an opportunity to take what God has put in our heart and minister it to your heart. And that's our desire uh, to be a blessing and encouragement to you. We're going to be here for two months. We're at three different Bible schools uh, for blocks of time. Uh, starting tomorrow at the AFM for every Monday morning, uh, another school has us for a block from Monday to a Friday from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. So we're going to be busy at churches, doing also men's, ladies' meetings. So we appreciate your prayers. And we have friends in America praying for you, praying for Zimbabwe. And our prayer's been that we might come not only in word, but in demonstration of the Spirit with power, that signs accompany God's Word, that God's Word is creative, that it'll do something in you and for you and through you. And that's been our prayer. And I'm excited about what God's put in my heart to share with you today. I believe it's going gonna, it's gonna to speak to you in a very special way. We're going to deal with something that I've been thinking about for a long time. But it's the only second opportunity to preach this message. So I'm, I'm excited. And I, I want to begin with, of all the questions we can ask, and we all have questions, this remains the most important. What is God like? All our other questions really revolve around and flow out of this question. Questions like, who am I? Why am I here? How am I to live? What's life about? What is God like? Now, God has gone to great lengths to reveal himself. Start with, he gave us his word on what he's like, who he is. And we're going to look at a very great passage in the Bible. All the passages are great. But this one is so loaded with truth concerning who God is and what he's like. I was in Egypt, and they asked me to teach on God's nature. I spent hours and hours in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to look at Exodus, Exodus chapter 3 on three great truths concerning what God is like. So when we think of God... When we pray to God, when we talk about God, we want to keep these three great truths concerning God. And they apply to God only. They are badges of his deity. And we need to understand what God is like. Because it will answer all the lesser questions. Exodus chapter 3 is our text. God had asked, Moses to do something. And Moses wants to know, okay, 
It's, it's impossible what God's asking him to do. So it seems to Moses. And so Moses asked God, what's your name? Exodus 3.14. What a tremendous verse. God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. I am that I am. This, God reveals his name. In the Hebrew, they refer to it as Hashem, the name. 5,000 times in the Old Testament. Yahweh, Jehovah, I am that I am. We know how significant names are in the Bible. They reveal something very notable about that person. Very significant and essential. And God here is revealing first and foremost, God is. He exists. I am that I am. He's revealing a whole lot more than that. But you begin with, God is. He who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. God says, I am. Think of that. The I am that I am. Self-existent. Self-determined. Uh, he's in and of himself having life and existence. I mean... He's uncaused, he's unchanging, he's unending, he's eternal. He had no beginning, he has no end. He's the first and the last, the everlasting one. He's one of a kind, totally unique, absolute reality. Oh my, when we think of God's holiness, what sets him apart from everything else, uncreated, mm. immortal, eternal, invisible. God says to Moses, when Moses asked God for his name, he says, I am that I am. It reveals a whole lot. But also, it's almost like a refusal to be limited or put in a box. You can't put a label on God. He's more. I am that I am. And in Hebrew, if you understand verbs, uh, the tenses uh, can vary. Even there, it can be, I am who I am. I am who I was. I was who I am. I will be who I am. I am who I will be. I am who I... And it's just, it's just speaking volume, but also, wow, there's this mystery of God. Like God speaking out of a burning bush. That's kind of mysterious, isn't it? Moses is doing what he's done a lot of times. He's the backside of the wilderness. He has a flock of sheep. And he's seen bushes catch on fire in the sun. But this bush, he sees it catch fire. It's blazing, but it doesn't burn up. He says, wait a minute, what's going on here? It's burning, but it's not burning up. And to oblivion... He turns aside. See this great sign. 
a bush burning that doesn't burn up. God is supernatural. He's beyond all that we see. There's this mysteriousness of God's self-existence, having life in himself, the only one like that. Jim Pendleton says, in all of human angelic thought, in all the range of angelic and human thinking, there's no greater mystery than the self-existence of God. Only God knows how he has always existed why he has always existed. Like that bush burning up. My son Ethan, who you mentioned, the book that I wrote, I uh, was at church, and we had had church like we're having today, and a Cambodian woman came up with Jerome, her six-year-old son, and says, Jerome has a question. And I looked at little Jerome, and Jerome looked at me and he said, where did God come from? And it's wonderful, that's to be encouraged. He's a budding theologian, right? He's realized he came from somewhere. His parents came from, where did God come from? And so Ethan, I, I called Ethan over because I knew Ethan had a tattoo, just a small little tattoo above his heart. The Hebrew letters here for I am that I am. And I said, Ethan, show, show Jerome your tattoo and explain the name. Hashem. And Ethan looked at me kind of, you know, and tilted us kind of like, really? And I told him, you know, he, Jerome wants to know where God came from. And Ethan began to explain, always been there. And if you've ever thought about God and always being there. Uh, 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 the look that came across Jerome's face when he heard that, kind of the look that comes across our face when we think a while about God and his self-existence. That God is. Mm. And because he is self-existent, he is absolute reality, the ground of all things. Paul says, from him and through him and to him are all things. Everything that is created, seen and unseen, he spoke it into existence. Mm. And by the things that he created, the things that we all see, speak of his eternity and his power. And Paul, on Mars Hill and Athens, among the philosophers, he said... The God who made heaven and earth is not served by men's hands as though he needed anything. He gives life and breath to all. And in him we live and move and have our being. He's the ground of our existence. And when we begin to understand the I am that I am, we understand he's in control. He's sovereign. Not a sparrow falls from the sky apart from him. He spoke it all into existence. All the laws of creation, law of gravity, and every law of physics and biology and all of that. He spoke it into existence. And we understand God is sovereign. He's everywhere all the time. He is there and he holds us in all of life. 
in the palm of his hand. When we, as you had us, begin to call on God, men began to call on the name of God. I, I think of Moses and Jethro, and I think of two kinds of people. People who know God is one absolute, one of a kind. And people like Jethro. Jethro was the priest of Midian. The Midianites were polytheistic. They believed in many gods. They looked at all the secondary causes, all the agents and laws of God in creation, and they made them all into gods. The God of fire, the God of water, the God of the sky, the God of the, uh, uh, the sun, the moon, the stars. And I can imagine Jethro at night after the women folk maybe had retired around the campfire looking up and talking about the different astrological things that he saw. Moses, though, different kind, monotheistic, one God. One God who created it all. Who's sovereign over it all. But let's delve a little bit deeper. What does the I am say about himself? He gives us his name. I am that I am. And he goes on, and he had said this earlier, before he revealed his name in verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmaster. Taskmasters. And he says, I know their sorrows. God is. The second thing we have to realize, he knows. He sees. He hears. He knows the sorrows. He knows the joys. He knows you like nobody else. He knows you better than your mother, better than your spouse, better than your best friend. He knows you completely and utterly. He who made the eyes sees. He who made our ears hears. He knows us. He's a person. He's not some mindless force. He's not some principle or idea. He's not the combination of all there is in nature. He's not the universe trying to talk to you. He's not blind faith. He's not chance. He's not an anonymous force. He thinks. He feels. He has personality. He's a person. He has self-awareness. He's like you. Or I should say, you're like him. He made you in his image and likeness. He gave you personhood and knows all things. The Bible says if our hearts condemn us, God is greater and he knows all things. He knows a word before I even speak it and it's on my tongue. He knew it all together, the psalmist said. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. All the hairs on your head are numbered. God knows. Infinite knowledge. Foreknowledge. Everything past he knows. Everything present he knows. Everything that's going to happen in the future. God knows. Mm. He knows where Moses is at. He knows where to find it. He knows where Pharaoh is at. And the Israelites. He's seen 
their slavery and their bondage. He's heard their cry. He knows their sorrow. And he's calling Moses to do something about it. Because God cares. But Moses says, who am I? That I should go to Egypt and bring the children of Israel out. I can't speak. Pharaoh won't listen to me. The Israelites won't listen to me. Who made you a ruler over us? He has all these reasons why he can't go, and God's got the wrong person. But God knows. I'm always amazed at how God persisted with Moses. God knows where you and I are at. And I see a great truth here. We only know who we are when we know who God is. When we get a revelation of who God is, we'll know who we are. And in knowing him, our knowing him is related to his call upon our life. What he's called each one of us to do. Yes, he persists with Moses. And Moses, someone said, had four or three 40-year periods in his life. The first 40 years in Pharaoh's house, the daughter of Pharaoh's son, all the learning of Egypt. He had 40 years when he was somebody. Now he's in a 40-year period in the backside of the wilderness where he's a, he's a nobody. And this is the nobody stage where God, I can't do this. And then he has this final 40 years, this third period, where he learns what God can do with somebody who considers they're nobody. But what I really want to get to, and where I want to spend the remainder of our time, is what he does. The third thing, when we think that God is, he's all-knowing, he sees, he hears, he feels, he knows our sorrow. Listen to what it says in verse 8. The first part of verse 8. And I am come down to deliver them. Out of the hand of the Egyptians. To bring them out of the land. Unto a good land. And a large. Unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Unto the place of the Canaanites. And the Hittites. And the Amorites. And the Perizzites. And the Hevites. And the Jezubites. And I am come down. All predicated on God coming down. I want to take our remaining time and talk about God coming down. Because when we get a revelation of what God is like, it's through his coming down. <laughs> and that's how he delivers us, is his coming down. We want to talk about that. And he comes down to do what? To take us out in order to bring us in. How many of you know God's always taking us out of something and bringing us into something new? God's our rescuer. I constantly need rescuing. I don't know about you. I constantly need, need to be brought out and brought in. I thank God for God bringing me out of darkness into light. I remember my B.C. before Christ. God bringing me out of confusion and chaos into peace. God bringing me out of my sorrows into joy. God bringing me out of my own mind into the mind of Christ. God bringing us out of vanity, uselessness, a life without purpose, bringing us into meaningness, 
God's always bringing us out and bringing us in. Out of sin into righteousness. Out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. How does he do it? I've come down. Here the gospel's being preached to Moses. Like it was preached to Abraham and those before us. God comes down. In this part, to see God in the person of the Lord Jesus. Jesus, we see it especially in John's gospel. I've come down from heaven, right? I'm the bread of life that's come down. And all the I am's in John's gospel before Abraham was, I am. In the Greek, it's ego me. And the Jews understood what he was saying. They picked up stones to stone and they said, you being a man, make yourself God. Yes, the transcendent God outside creation, who yes, created everything like someone builds a house, has come into his house as a human being, fully man. Oh my. If the other didn't get your attention, his self-existence, his all-knowingness. If that didn't get a hold of you, this has got to. And if this doesn't, nothing will. God has come down in human form as a man. Mm. We're going to go deeper. Why there's power in Jesus' name. Power to save to the utmost. His name shall be called Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. And I want us to look more deeply as to how he does this. The transcendent God, when we celebrated Christmas recently, came down, became flesh, conceived in the Virgin Mary, born, as the song goes, from an endless throne of glory to a cradle in the dirt. We bought a new nativity set. We have four grandkids, a fifth on the way. and Having them for Christmas and having the nativity set, and they see the baby Jesus in the manger and his little hands. Those little hands that would play with toys and that he would develop and grow in stature and wisdom just like we have to. And later, those hands that would fashion wood into furniture and hold the Torah. And those hands that ultimately would be stretched out, have nails driven through them for you and I. What is God like? If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He's the express image of the invisible God. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in human form, in a body, in the flesh. And he overcame the world, Egypt as it were. He overcame the flesh, all the host of Egypt. And Pharaoh, a type of the devil. And we're going to look at it deeper. How did he do that? Well, when we talk about the world, our environment, 
that which is outside us, around us, which we live in the world. We may not be of the world. Egypt was a type of the world. And what Jesus did in coming into the world, he said, be a good cheer, I've overcome the world. All its troubles, all its tests, all its trials, all its temptations, all of its tragedies. I don't know what tragedies you've experienced in your life, what sorrows. He knew the sorrows of those in Egypt. I know their sorrows. He felt their sorrows. Jesus overcame all these tragedies of the world. The tragedy of God's people favored under Joseph. The tragedy of Joseph sold by his brother into slavery, but then later exalted. But then another Pharaoh didn't know Joseph, hated God's people, enslaved them. All the tragedies, the worst tragedies. I've known tragedy. I look to Jesus. He came into the world. And you cannot think of a greater tragedy. When you read the narrative of the Lord Jesus and what he endured, it's the greatest tragedy. It's a combination. It's an aggregation. It's, a, it's the things that we avoid to the utmost. It's the worst. It's things that we fear. I mean, he came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. He was rejected. The elders delivered him up. The elders of his people deliver him into the hands of their arch enemies. It's a tragedy on a human plane. It's the worst of tragedies. A close friend betrays him. They despise him. They mock him. They spit on him. They choose a criminal instead of him. You talk about injustice. His followers all forsake him. They all flee in different directions. But John and his mother, his mother watches him, stripped naked. He's young. He's done no wrong. He's only done good. But worse than all that, it's the greatest tragedy. He feels abandoned by his father for the first time. The love of the father feels outside his reach upon the cross. He becomes sin. He bears the curse. He bears the great tragedy of man's rejection of God, of Edom lost, of this world that doesn't know God. And he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a tragedy. And when we get in touch with it, and we've been looking at it for 2,000 years, and as we look at it, there's healing Healing our hurts, basic tenet of psychology, and practiced where people who've been traumatized, they willingly face their terror. They look at it, and by looking at it, they deprive it of its power, that which terrorized them. They become braver, they overcome the worst, Yes, he overcame the world, the flesh. Talking about the flesh for a moment, the sinful nature, our brokenness, our fallenness. I think of the children of Israel and, 
and their brokenness, and they do stuff, and we think, how could they do that? How could God bring them out? And then moments later, they're, they're doubting, they're questioning, and have you brought us into the wilderness to kill us? And then he brings them through the Red Sea, and they sing and they dance, and then moments later, they start worshiping idols fashioned after their own hands. Bowing down to these things. They left the tyranny of Egypt and they give themselves to the tyranny of their sinful nature. It's not only that outside us, we got problems inside us. And when we understand what Jesus did, how he overcame the flesh, well, as they worshiped idols and the work of their hands and said, These are your gods that delivered you. Snakes, poisonous snakes, came into the camp. We know the story. They were biting people. People were dying. The poison, the venom got in them. Picture of the sinful nature. They cry out to Moses. What does Moses do? Does, he, does God tell him, just send the snakes away? No. He fashions a brazen serpent. He puts it on a pole. They lift the pole up for the people to look to, to look at. And they're healed. Amazing. The poison, the venom is overcome. And Jesus likens himself to the serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness. That all who believe should not perish, but have everlasting life. He overcomes the flesh and all that we fear in the flesh. I mean, you think of crucifixion. It was the most torturous, cruel type of execution. The Romans de devised it to subjugate people. They would so fear being crucified. They were able to control people through the fear of, of, of nails being driven through your wrist. You, you didn't die all at once. You suffocated slowly. You had to push yourself up and gasp for air. You also dehydrated. It was a terrible, you bled out. It was a terrible, excruciating death. And Jesus overcomes the flesh. He becomes sin upon the cross for you and I. We all have a sinful nature. What do you do with the sinful nature? The Bible says we're crucified with Christ. It's put to death with Him. We overcome this sin within, this venom, this poison. We look to what Jesus did on the cross. I used to preach a lot of how-to messages and kind of blessed messages. <laughs> and, and, and it the last five, six years. Like, I, I cannot preach without preaching on the cross. If you can bring people near to the cross, it will transform them. It will change them. I've seen people get free of addictions and the power of sin by looking at the cross, the chains falling off of them because Jesus overcame the sinful nature. And we cry out to the, to the name of Jesus. He saves us from our sins. And Satan... 
the world, the flesh, and the devil, Satan, the type of Pharaoh. Oh my, we could go for hours and talk about what Jesus did to overcome Satan. The Bible talks about the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. The record of our sins, contrary to us. He nailed it to the cross, our debt. You've seen it paid in full. In the next verse, in Colossians 2, 14, then in 15 it says, having disarmed principalities and powers. Speaking of the devil and all his demons. He made a show of them openly. He triumphed over them through the cross. Satan, that strong man who was armed, who used our sin as an accuser to accuse us to God and indict us like a prosecuting attorney before a just judge, afflicting every disobedience, a just recompense. But Jesus now, <laughs> who shall bring a charge? It's Christ who died. Yea, rather is risen, who's at the right hand of the Father, who's our advocate and our attorney, defending us. We talk about what Jesus did to overcome the devil and all his power. Look with me to the cross today. I see myself and the disciples when they were scattered. We allow fears to scatter us. And the multitude, right, who, they give in to peer pressure. Ask for Barabbas rather than Jesus. Pilate, political expediency. The Sanhedrin. Out of envy and jealousy, they did what they did. And we begin to see, he became my son. He took my son. I write in blindside at Ethan. I knew he had a close relationship with the Lord. He was studying to be a pastor. And I found the love letter he wrote to Jesus, to the Father, to the Holy Spirit. It was Trinitarian. And each person of the Holy Trinity, he had something to say. He said to the son, describe for me the nails I drove through your wrist that I may never forget your love. When we begin to see my sin that put Jesus upon the cross, he took my sin. This I am that I am, this self-existent one, this prince of life, this one who has life in himself, lays down his life for me. He knows my sorrow. He knows everything about me, and he loves me, and he gave himself for me, and he shed his blood. I'm gobsmacked. I'm awestruck. I'm flabbergasted. It gets me out of bed in the middle of the night. It causes me to sit in silence and solitude and quietness and ponder him. My God. One day, we shall see his face. We shall see his face. It takes the venom out of me. I told the Lord, but on this trip, I don't want to just preach. I want to I see you touch lives, Lord.
people right where they're at in their needs. I don't know what needs you have today, but I know He knows. He can touch you right where you're at. I don't know your sorrows. I don't know your joy, but He knows. Just close your eyes for a moment right where you're at. Just close your eyes because the Lord is going to speak to your heart, touch your life. I know that as we were singing that song, Here I Am Waiting, I, I saw the Lord, I saw his hands open to you. And I know that his presence is here right now. And so I would like you just to consider the need that you have and to simply place your need in his hands. Because Jesus is here to take that burden from you. He is here to comfort you. He is here to direct you and to heal you. Nothing is too great for him to do. So would you just release that to him today? Release the pain of it, the heaviness of it, the aspect of trial in it, the way that it irritates you. Give it to him now. And just in this moment, allow Jesus, allow him to comfort your heart. As you place it in his hands, trust him. Trust him to bring a mighty answer into your life that I know you will speak of, I know you will testify. And in this moment also, I, I would like to just encourage the church because I know that Zimbabwe has been through a very difficult and traumatic time, but I want to encourage you that a day of refreshing is coming. We're seeing this day of refreshing in America. We're seeing churches that push the Holy Spirit out of their services are now longing for him and saying there has to be more. There has to be more. Longing to be in his presence, longing for the Holy Spirit to dwell among them, longing for his power. And I'd like to just speak over you that his day of refreshing mm -hmm. is coming. It's coming to Zimbabwe as well. It's coming to revive his people again. That day of power is coming again. Just lift your hands right where you're at. Receive refreshment. Receive an answer to whatever you were asking. Lord, our hands are stretched out to you because you stretched out your hands to us. 
Lord, touch now. Impart the very life of Jesus. Cause us to partake of your very own divine nature. Lord, give us that indestructible spirit. Our spirit made one with your spirit. Our soul, our mind, our emotions transform. Lord, we look to what you did, how you did it. Thank you for coming down into our midst. Emmanuel, God with us. We proclaim your name today. You are Emmanuel. You are the first and the last, the almighty. You are our bright and morning star. You are the light of the world. You are the resurrection and the light. You are the miracle worker. You are our teacher, our Lord, our master, our healer. You are our provider, Jehovah Jireh. You are our peace in times of storm. You are our strength, our abiding strength. You are the overcomer. You have overcome for us. You are the one who sustains us and keeps us, empowers us, and leads us in triumph. Lord, we thank you right now for canceling every device of the devil, every wicked scheme, every ploy and plot, everything he would seek to do. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that we overcome through that precious, holy, holy blood. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Just tell him in your own words. I love you, Lord. I love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I praise you, God. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for breathing upon me. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs>